0: <clears throat> All right, good morning. Two passages of Scripture want us to turn to, and we're going to read. Um, we'll do it as a group, but we'll read from both passages. Um, go ahead and turn to Psalm 34. Psalm 34, once you get there, put uh, one of your hands or a marker or something uh, there to hold your place, and then go back to 1 Samuel chapter 21. 1 Samuel chapter 21. We'll read from 1 Samuel first. <clears throat> All right, everybody got both of those passages? In 1 Samuel, this is... Um, uh, you know of course, in the life of David uh, in the scheme of things, this is probably I don't know exactly how long, but this is probably not terribly long after uh, David killed Goliath and then remember after that Saul obviously got jealous uh, the the ladies of Israel in singing their songs, you know they said that Saul had slain his thousands, but David is tens, tens of thousands and of course, that started Saul in a in a process of obviously trying to get rid of David, and uh, whether or not Saul knew at first or just came to know in time, but later on Saul acknowledges to David that he you know he knows David is going to be king, and uh, that that's of the Lord and so on. But in 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 and it was probably again at least 13 years maybe maybe 20 years that david was on the run it was a long time all in all but this is probably toward the front end of that um and um uh again there's a number of things that have happened in the last few chapters but this is at the point here where david thinks he has nowhere else to go and he runs to the land of the philistines the first time He goes back there later on, right before he actually does become king, but uh, this is the first time that he goes there and, uh, you know, probably thinking in his own mind, this is his last resort. And he, he goes there kind of basically to put himself at the mercy of the Philistines because Saul and officially the Israelites are after him and he's running for his life. Right, and in in the process of getting there, this is where David goes to the priests, and uh, you know basically asks if they have any food because he's he's had to leave in a hurry. He didn't have time to you know prepare for anything for his trip, and uh, that Ahimelech gives him some of the showbread. Him and some there's obviously some men with him, but probably a small a small number of men with him at this time. And this is before David has family. He's been, uh, I guess you could say, married to Saul's daughter, Michael, before, prior to this. But, uh, and she's protected him once from Saul. And, uh, but again, this is now, uh, he's, he's feeling like there's not, nowhere else to go, nowhere else to turn. So he's running to the enemies, really. All right. And so this is, uh, let's just pick up in verse 8, if we can uh, start reading there. I'll ask Pastor Brinker to start there. We'll read eight, then I'll read after that, and then we'll just keep going around in that order, down through verse 2 of chapter 22, okay? So I don't know how how that's going to end with who, but uh, so if you'll start, Pastor. And David said unto Ahimelech, Is there not here under thy hand spear or sword? For I have neither brought my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If thou wilt take that, take it, for there is no other save that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it me. And the servants of Achish said unto him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing one another of him that in dances saying, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? David laid up these words in his heart, and was sore afraid of Achish the king of Gath. And he changed his behavior before them, and feigned himself mad in their hands, and scrabbled up on the doors of the gate, and let his fiddle fall down upon his beard. Then said Achish unto his servants, Lo, ye see, the man is mad. Before then had he brought you to me. Have <laughs> I need of madman that ye have brought the stone to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? David therefore departed thence, and escaped to the cave of the dome. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. All right, now at the time here, David leaves Gath and he goes back to the land of Judah. And he spends time in the wilderness of Judah. And there was a particular place, this cave of Adullam, that he ended up resorting to as kind of his, his hideout uh, for some time, probably multiple caves uh, there. And then in time, all right, he gathers a lot more men are coming to him, as verse 2 says. I mean, they that were in distress and others that were discontented with Saul and and so on. Anyway, so he starts accumulating followers uh, at that point. Now, let's go to Psalm 34. There's a reason for reading this passage with this psalm. And uh, we're back at the beginning here. So, notice before we start reading... um, uh, before Pastor Brinker reads verse one, notice the heading of the psalm. Maybe some editions of the Bible here don't have the headings, but this one is is said to be a psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. All right. So notice that. That's really what it's saying is the the, the occasion for the writing of the psalm was what we just read back in 1 Samuel 21. All right. So Pastor Brinker. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were enlightened, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamped with me round about them, and fear him over there. O taste and see that the Lord is good, blessed is the man that trusts in him. O oh, fear the Lord and his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, ye children, hearken unto me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life, and loveth many days, that he may see good? So keep thy tongue, for and lips from speaking Depart
1: from evil, and do good. sat and pursue it.
0: The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, uh, and the Lord hears, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of broken heart, and saven such as he of the contrite to do. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. Let's go ahead and pray. Thank you, Lord, uh, for this opportunity to open your word, look into it, help us now as we look at this psalm and uh, just to uh, uh, be exhorted to uh, obviously look to you in uh, times of trouble in our lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake, we pray. Amen. Um, this psalm is a psalm of both instruction and a psalm of praise. uh, Here, Psalm 34. And David is reflecting, again, based on the heading of the psalm, he's reflecting upon his historical circumstance in his own life, and he's exalting the Lord for his help and deliverance. He then uses this experience to teach his men and and others, probably Israel, generally speaking, after he was king and so on, but to teach them these principles for their own edification. And uh, it's interesting because Sometime back when we were looking at, you know, started looking at various psalms, my wife kind of was prodding me. She's like, what about Psalm 34? What about Psalm 34? Because that's one of her favorite psalms. And I got to thinking, and, and, I, and then I looked back through some records and stuff that I keep. And as far as I know, I've never taught this or preached from this psalm before. And uh, so I thought that was kind of interesting because in reality, um, uh, when, I was, when I was pastor and was making like... Ha- you know hospital visits and stuff on a regular basis i would say that this psalm is probably the portion of scripture i read with people in the hospital more than any other portion of scripture sometimes i would skip portions of it for various reasons but i mean but as you you know as you read through this if you listened i mean there's there's obviously a lot of promises from the lord in here and it's about really the the overarching theme is one of deliverance all right it's one of david reflecting on a time of deliverance in his life and then speaking of how the lord will deliver those that are his so uh obviously it's fitting for you know again somebody in time of trouble distress or you know physical uh problems in his or her life or something but in this psalm also you know we had talked uh, sometime back when we were talking about the psalms in general. I mean, there's a variety of different kinds of psalms, and there's elements of several different types of psalms in this psalm, all right? Because again, it's, it's a psalm of uh, uh, reflection and actually then praise. Uh, you can see that in the first part of it here, that David's He's basically proclaiming he's going to exalt the Lord and praise him. And there's a lot of that in this psalm. It's a psalm of instruction as well, because as we'll point out here down in verse 11, he specifically states that he's going to give instruction here. All right. And uh, then also there, if you noticed it or not, there's just a small snippet here of an element of a messianic prophecy in this psalm as well. Uh, and so this is, this is an interesting portion of script with a lot of different elements kind of come together in this psalm. And obviously there's a lot of practical value for us in this as well. So considering the setting of the psalm, we've already talked about this psalm and, and we read the, the passage in 1 Samuel that gives us the background here. But the biblical heading of the psalm indicates that this psalm is a result of David's first experience of fleeing uh, the land of Israel for the Philistine country. This is recorded as we read in First Samuel 21, and uh, this would have been relatively early on in David's life on the road, so to speak, his running for his life. Right. And at this time, David had no other wife, as far as we see in Scripture, anyway, other than Saul's daughter Michael, and probably had very few men with him, and that you can see that in first uh, Samuel 21 verses 10 through 12 in his talking with Ahimelech the priest there and uh, you know because he Ahimelech refers to some other men and David does too but it's it's and if they're eating the showbread that was there present obviously there couldn't be a lot of people with him I mean anyway so it's probably just a, a small group of men that were with him at this time so thinking of it in that sense okay David you, you can see where when David got in this predicament that he was in, he was feeling quite alone and helpless. All right, he didn't have a lot of he didn't have a lot of people backing him up. In fact, he was greatly outnumbered where he went, and and so on. All right, now, um, and and then the, just to mention this, okay, because I think there's an interesting correlation here as well. You'll notice back what we read in 1 Samuel 21. The king of Gath is called Achish, all right? Here in the heading of the psalm, he's referred to as Abimelech. Now, there's not a, not a, you know, con, uh, a problem here. Can't think of the right word I was going to use. But uh, because probably the term Abimelech, you can, see, you can see if you go back into the book of Genesis, Abraham in Genesis 20 fled to the land of Philistines for a short time. His son Isaac in Genesis twenty six fled to the land of the Philistines, and in both cases, the king at that time was referred to as Abimelech. All right, so most likely, Abimelech is not so much as a name as it is a title. Uh, kind of like Pharaoh for the Egyptians, for instance. And those Pharaohs had various names, the individuals, but this particular one that David interacted with, his name was Achish, but he, he probably was referred to as Abimelech as well as a title because of that seems to be consistent. And like both Isaac, uh, Isaac in Genesis 26 and Abraham in Genesis uh, 20, it would seem that David's running there was just kind of a, uh, if you want to say, a prompting of his flesh. It wasn't something that God directed him to do, right? Uh, because in, in, in their instances and in David's instance in, in all of these, you'll see they kind of got in trouble with going there, right? And uh, I'm not going to get into all of uh, Abraham and, and Isaac's at this point, but they got themselves into trouble because they were facing a difficult situation in the place where, you know, God had led them, right? And they, they faced some difficulty and they fled to the land of the Philistines just as kind of trying to get out of their present predicament, all right? And again, that's probably not unlike us, is it? But um, it seems that's the case with David and then he, he learns his lesson here, all right? And very likely, the later time in David's life, uh, when he goes to the Philistines, it probably was in God's leading at that point. All right, the Bible doesn't necessarily specifically say that, that I know of, but I would, I would, I think there's reason to uh, uh, to say that. So in in Psalm 34 here, this reflects on David's own experience and the important lesson that he learned, and his resulting heart of thanksgiving and praise to and for God as well as desire to help others learn this valuable truth that God is more than able to take care of his own. So as you uh, analyze the psalm, if, if you think of it, okay, in the big picture here, you'll see that the psalm naturally breaks into two main sections, all right? The first 10 verses are what you could call David's song. They are, they are, uh, those verses express David's heart and, and so on. And then in verse 11, he changes and he says, come ye children, hearken unto me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So the point is then that David in the rest of the Psalm, the emphasis is he's, he's already reflected on his experience and the result that he's, he's learned and he's praising God for that, but now he's focusing on, okay, I want to give you instruction in this, all right, for others to learn. And so, he uses his personal experience to instruct others on how the Lord can be trusted in times of trouble, distress, times of great need. Uh, Also, another interesting thing throughout this psalm, if you pay attention to it, and and we don't have time to go through the whole thing in this light and, and contrast everything, but the pronouns change often. And, and again, sometimes that's very important, as we can see in the messianic part down here. But uh, there's a changing of those from, from David referring to himself, then referring to others. And then uh, when he talks about the third person, uh, sometimes it's they, sometimes then he gets very specific and says he or him, all right, and and so on. So uh, let's let's take a few moments here and just kind of uh, go through this this psalm here, and uh, not that we're going to be able to exhaust it by any stretch or look at every detail in the psalm. But so let's let's look first of all at the at the first part here, David's song, all right? The first ten verses. We've already read them, so we won't take time and just reread each each part here. But you can see it kind of begins with a declaration of david just generally setting the tone here in verses one through three he says i will bless the lord at all times his praise shall continually be in my mouth all right so you see this this declaration then in verse two of course he says my soul shall make her boast in the lord the humble shall hear there and be glad o magnify the lord with me let us exalt his name together kind of a general setting the stage that he's declaring Uh, Not just that God is worthy of praise, but notice what he says. He says, I will, and it's almost like he's making a vow here, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And the idea is David had learned uh, through a difficult time that God is worthy of praise whether things are good, whether things are bad, all right? And he's kind of stating that here. And and I don't know about you, but that's a hard lesson to continually learn. Uh, That, I mean, no matter what, it's easy to praise God in good times. I mean, anybody can do that, right? I mean, anybody should do that. But when things are difficult, that's not always easy to praise God for. And admittedly, I fall far short of that far too many times. But you see his his declaration here that he's he's saying, I'm gonna continually praise the Lord. And maybe that's something that we not necessarily that we stand up and vow and say, you know, I'm I'm promising to do this, but that we constantly remind ourselves, okay, that, you know, this this is what we ought to do, and and so on. And and it probably wouldn't be a bad thing that even on a daily basis we remind ourselves that, you know, the Lord, you know, you think of the, the, the statement in Lamentations there when Jeremiah is writing and he's reflecting on, uh, I mean, the whole book of Lamentations is basically uh, Jeremiah mourning the destruction of Jerusalem, right, and God's, you know, judgment. I mean, and what, he's just broken-hearted over it all. But there in chapter 3, right, you know, kind of in the middle of, of all that uh, mourning and so on, he says, you know, it's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. Uh, and then he, his, uh, I can't, blank spot there, but then it goes on to say, great is thy faithfulness, all right? I mean, and of course we have songs written about that and and so on, but uh, he's reminding himself, and it wouldn't be a bad idea if we would remind ourselves of that uh, and, and, uh, Try to keep that mindset here. But David, you, you see David's declaration, verses 1 through 3. You see David's deliverance in verses 4 through 7. So notice notice he now specifically starts talking about his personal experience, what he saw, what he learned, what God did, and so on. Notice he says, I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Um, from all my fears. Um, lost my place, sorry. Sorry. Uh, Uh, Verse 5, they looked unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Now think of these verses in light of the historical circumstance. The historical context david is on the run i mean saul the king's after him he's made it clear that he intends to kill david by this point he's already thrown javelin at him at the dinner table several times he's he's uh exploded in front you know front of others and jonathan that no he doesn't deserve to, he's going to die and you know and, and just that kind of stuff that's all happened he went to david's house uh had men sent men there to try to capture david you know, early in the morning, and David's wife at that time had made a, uh, some kind of false figure in the bed so that, you know, and, they, and she said he was sick and all this. And then they finally figured out what was going on. And she's like, you know, she had to make up a, an excuse to her dad. Well, he, he threatened to kill me if I didn't do this, which obviously it's not recorded David ever did that, but she was trying to protect him and, and so on. Uh, But again, just think of that. David's on the run. So he, he feels, and that's the thing. He's feeling this. It's not the truth, but he's feeling like all his resources are exhausted. So what else is there to do? Who else can protect him from Saul? He goes to Saul's enemies, the Philistines, and knocks on Achish's door, right? And I don't know exactly. You know, they probably didn't have a doorbell, but I mean, you know. Uh, and it's possible he never even saw Achish himself, never made it that far because of what we read back there, Uh, you know, he starts, as he arrives, he starts hearing the Philistines around and, you know, Achish's men saying, isn't this David? David? You know, he's the one that killed our champion. He's the one that the, the Israelite women were singing that, you know, Saul's killed his thousands, but David's killed his tens of thousands. And those tens of thousands are us. You know, I mean, so he's, you know, he starts hearing this and he starts feeling like, you know what? This probably wasn't a very good idea. Uh, I thought I had enemies there. I mean, I'm I'm in a bad shape here. Now, it's interesting because at this point, historically, Again, this was still that idea, or not, not the idea, but the event that David had killed Goliath and then you know, then led the Israelites in, in routing the Philistines there. That was still fresh enough. It was still, I mean, it had been some time, but it was still recent enough that the Philistines, that, that's all they were still thinking about, all right? Um, and then later on in time, of course, that you know, time has a way of changing people's minds about things and so on. But so it's still fresh enough, and that's where David, he's like, oh, man, I'm in a bind here. What am I going to do? All right. And then you'll see we read it. But back in 1 Samuel 21, David, like us, probably at times, he starts contriving these ideas. Well, what am I going to do? I'll just pretend that I'm insane. And uh, he starts slobbering on himself and scratching on the doors and, you know, probably scribbling. Right. I mean. The whole point is and then achish is like what in the world? get this guy away from me all right and so he he uh does that but he expresses here in psalm 34 some other more internal thoughts about that whole situation that aren't mentioned in first samuel 21. it's kind of like many times you know when you when you when you compare scripture to scripture and you read the historical accounts and then you have other things that fill in details for that kind of like the book of acts you study the book of acts you see various things but then when you tie in like the epistles and various things into those historical accounts it it obviously said sheds more light on the circumstances and so on but here david says he expresses that he was afraid all right and and you can understand i mean he's he's there now he put himself in the land of the enemies now again he he, that was prompted by he figured what else can I do you know maybe they'll protect me but then when he starts hearing the way they're talking about him he realizes okay that's probably not gonna not gonna happen not gonna work so I'm in more trouble here so he he has to come up with a way but here in Psalm 34 he talks about his fears and his distress and so on And he mentions here, okay, he probably started all those, the slobberings and all that stuff kind of initially, but there came a point when he realized, okay, my only hope is to turn to the Lord and seek his help. And that's what he says in verses four through seven. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. He delivered him. All right. That's a, that's a wonderful thing to think about that. David sought the Lord. The Lord got his attention, and then sometimes, you know, the Lord allows those difficulties to happen to us so he can get our attention, so that our focus is on him as it should have been to begin with, but we didn't put it there, right? And so sometimes he has to allow those things to get our attention. And it's interesting here in verse 4, this caught my attention, where he says, "Um, and uh, delivered me from all my fears, Now, when you read 1 Samuel 21, it doesn't state that David was actually ever harmed by the Philistines in that situation. Like, it doesn't say they took him captive for a while, tortured him and so on, you know, and tried to get him to confess or whatever and then let him go. No, it doesn't. I mean, it's like he never even got in, right? And so the idea is, at this point, David's mind was actively running with all the what ifs what if they do take me what if this what if that i mean that's how i am i mean unfortunately at times and you know that's the thing he says the lord delivered him from his fears and it's like david is worried about all the things that could happen but the Lord delivered him from them. When he turned to the Lord, all right? So you see David's deliverance. I've got to hurry here. And then in verses 8 through 10, basically you can see what I'll call David's delight here. He says, oh, taste and see. And there's, we'll get back to some of the statements in these verses hopefully here at the end. But he says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him again these are some wonderful statements and promises and so on and lord willing again at the end we'll get back to some of these promises here but um he's reflecting again on the lord that the lord is is gracious and good and the emphasis is david's basically telling us that he had to he had to come to the point where he put his delight in the lord and fixiate on the lord not his fears and the lord delivers him from those, those fears, all the what ifs and the worry, excuse me, uh, and so on again. Then verse 10 is an interesting verse. He says, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord should not want any good thing. Now, that doesn't seem to have anything to do with the experience in Gath with the Philistines, but that passage ends by saying what? That when David fled from there, he went back to the wilderness of Judea and or judah and he he held up in the caves and in those areas it was common that there were lions not like what you think of african lions but probably more like what we would think of as mountain lions you know puma cougar uh but they're still considered lions but um uh, anyway we have some personal interesting stories about that don't have time to talk about that right now when we lived in western colorado but but you see David's delight here and uh, verse 8 is an interesting verse says oh taste and see that the Lord is good Blessed is the man that trusteth in him there's a reference to this verse in both he uh, Hebrews 6 verse 5 and in first Peter chapter 2 verse 3 about tasting and seeing that the Lord is good here, but we'll uh, save that for right now. Then verses 11 through 22, you could call this David's sermon, David's song, where he's reflecting on what's happened and lessons he, he's learned and so on. Now he's, he's, he's inviting people to come here an in invitation in verse 11, come. All right. In other words, gather around, listen. This is what a life of fearing God is and yields. All right. And then verses 12 through 14, I'll just call this the intention. In other words, if you desire to have a life that's good, then you should prioritize the Lord. Now, I'm gonna say a life that's good, that could mean different p- things to different people. And probably for most people in the world, that would mean you know, wealth and, and uh, being you know, in a place where you're, you're set, so to speak, this kind of thing. That's not the life of, uh, uh, that, the, that the New Testament describes for God's people. In fact, probably relatively speaking, very few of God's people uh, in this New Testament era have ever really been there and experienced that. There are probably a few, but relatively few. So if you desire a life that's good, one that is uh, living in the praising of the Lord and the joy of the Lord in one's life, all right, that's, that's the idea, then this is what we should do. And if you go down through these verses, you can see a number of what we could call conditions, uh, commands, whatever, that if we'll do this, God promises this. All right. So let me just hasten through this list real quick. And again, we'll uh, perhaps get back to some of these in in more detail in a few moments. But uh, so if you, if you desire to have this life, then you should prioritize the Lord, which will include, or we should here, fear the Lord, trust the Lord, obey the Lord, delight in the Lord, and just when we don't know what to do, do what we know is right. There, there are times in life when you are wondering, what should I do? That happens a lot, all right? But the fact is, You know, God, if we're willing, if we're submissive, and by that, you know, if we're looking to him, we're we're just like those statements. We're fearing him, trusting him, obeying him. We're putting our delight in him. We want him, okay? Not necessarily just what he can give us, but we want him. And there's a difference in the two, all right? when we're at a place, a standstill, so to speak. For instance, in David's situation, when he, before he had fled to the Philistines, what should he have done? He should have just stayed put and did the things that he knew were right to do already. And when we do that in God's time, he'll reveal what we need to know, what else we need to know that we didn't know, all right? You know, the what should I do, the answer to that. Um, So when we don't know what to do, we should delight in Him and do what we already know is right to do, wait on Him, and rest in Him. Now, that's easier said than done. This parallels, by the way, just turn a couple pages over in uh, Psalm 37. This is a passage that I have preached out of a number of times. But in Psalm 37, the first nine verses or so, you'll see these same principles here. And it's a Psalm of David, and perhaps he's just putting these to use, same principles to use in this Psalm in a different format and so on. But notice he says, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. then notice, Trust in the Lord and do good, So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. He'll put the desire to do what He wants into your heart. All right. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He'll bring it to pass. And He shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. And then rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil, for evildoers shall be cut off. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. And then it goes on, but you see the same principles right there. All right, we need to focus on the Lord. We need to, number one, trust in him. That means we need to know what he says. In order to trust what he says you got to learn what he says you have to know what he says so you need to you need to have your focus in the word so you know what God says so that then you actively put your trust in what God says and then then I turned my page already but I think it's verse 4 there in Psalm 37 it says trust in the Lord and do good all right so in other words then do what you know is to be right right now when you don't know what you're supposed to do yet okay ahead do what you know is right right now then you fo- you delight yourself in him you or you commit your way i think that one's first i can't remember what, are you looking at it andy is it commit or, or delight first delight. delight all right so you focus your attention on him you delight yourself in him personally spending time with him you know uh, getting closer to him in james 4 the bible says if we draw nigh to god what will he do He'll draw nigh to us. But it also says in that passage that God resists the proud. So it's like if we're not submissive to him, you'll not get close to him. It's kind of like, I don't know if they still do this a lot in football, but, you know, running backs. One of the key tactics, you know, always used to be the stiff arm, right? I mean, but you're going to stay away. But it's like God stiff arms you. If, you're, if we're proud, if we're not submissive to him, you can't get close to him because he won't let you. That doesn't mean that you're not necessarily a child of his, but you can't be close to him and be proud. And humility is one of the almost constant and most important lessons in life. Because it's, it's imperative if we're going to be close to the Lord. All right. But uh, and then... Um, committing our way to him. Again, it's just a matter of rolling it on him and letting him take care of it. That's that's the idea. And then that last principle in that passage is rest. And sometimes that's the hardest, you know, just taking our hands off, resting, waiting. But at the same time, you have to continually be trusting, delighting, committing. All right. I mean, it's not like there's this and then, then you leave that, move on to this. They all go together. All right. But and then in time, God will—he'll—he'll he'll show you how to move. He'll show you how to, the next step. He'll show you what to do if you're—if you're wondering, you know, what do I do here? What I'm at a fork in the road. I, I need to make a decision. What do I do? Well, you know, when in doubt, don't 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 make the wrong decision just because you feel like you have to make a decision. And far too many times, I've probably done that. But we need to we need to apply these principles here again. Same things in this psalm, really. And then. That part where uh, you know, just if we don't know what to do, just practice what we know is right. You can see some other kind of like what I would call sub-statements in this in this passage here in uh, in in verse thirteen. Or he asked the question in verse twelve: "What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good?" Again, if you're you're wanting to have a good life in the Lord, right? Keep your tongue from evil. That's kind of a basic thing that you know everybody ought to know that right keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking guile depart from evil do good in other words make good choices right and then he says seek peace and pursue it and and I think in the context you could think of that in this way all right don't be looking for trouble I mean far too many times we bring trouble on us by looking for it again David, he had enough trouble, all right, with Saul and that where he was, but he went looking for other trouble when he went to the enemies. I mean, you know, and oftentimes we just put ourselves in, in, a, in a stupid way because we're, we're, we're not content and we, we keep looking for uh, that. We're looking for trouble, so to speak, all right? I mean, there's numerous statements in, in the New Testament. A couple come to mind, Romans 12, 18, as much as live, uh, lieth in you, uh, live peaceably with all men, all right? Again, we, we shouldn't be looking for trouble, looking for fights, whatever. I mean, uh, it will happen from time to time, but don't be looking for it, all right? In, in Hebrews 12, 14, again, we're to, we're to pursue peace there, seek peace with all men, in, uh, in Matthew 6, what a wonderful passage that is there, uh, uh, teaching a lot of the same things in, in many ways as this psalm, but Jesus makes this statement down in verse 34 after he's mentioned about seeking first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and so on. And then he says, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Again, Don't make yourself, you know, don't add to your tribulation by going out of your way to look for trouble. There's going to be enough trouble that comes. Our focus should be seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness, all right? And again, things are going to happen. Tribulation will come. And notice that in this psalm, and I'm going to run out of time here. Maybe we'll just kind of uh, stop and then pick back up here. But let, let me mention this here that you'll, you can see uh, in this psalm, one very clear principle is it, it, the Lord never promises here or even in the New Testament, all right, that he's going to keep you from trouble. In other words, to keep you away, you know, that you'll never face trouble, distress. Now, he promises that he will keep you through trouble. He'll keep you in the midst of trouble. He can help you in trouble and so on, but he never promises that you won't have trouble. It is a fact of life. It is. And, and just to add this, and we're going to have to close because time's up. In verse 19 and 20, there's a reference here to the Lord Jesus, all right? It seems, all right, because it's referred to in the New Testament in that way, all right? Uh, but he says in verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth. Notice it's him. Up to this point in the psalm, the righteous is referred to as them, all right, the Lord's people, all Right, but here he says him. Now, some, some could argue, okay, it's just singling out, talking about you individually. Possibly, but again, this statement is referred to in the New Testament as uh, a fulfillment that happened to the Lord Jesus, but it says, um, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all, all right, he will deliver you out of those afflictions, and then verse 20, he keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Of course, that's referred to in John chapter 19 when the Lord Jesus is on the cross all right at you know toward the end of the day there when the soldiers came and they were gonna break his legs which would of course lead to a quicker death because he wouldn't be able to hold himself up and breathe and uh, they did the legs of the two thieves the two uh, criminals but they didn't Jesus because they saw he was already dead all right and then John refers to this says you know that the scripture and it was fulfilled uh, but the point is that just making there, and we'll, I'll just stop and we'll pick back up here and go through, because there's a lot of promises and things in this psalm that I do want to talk about. Um, the Lord, you know, to quote an old country song, forgive me, but I never, you know, the Lord doesn't promise us a rose garden, right? But he will promise to help you in times of need. And that's that's a lesson that seems like you can, I say you, I, we have to continually learn in life because it's easy to lose our sight on that and easy to look at things and get all distracted and distraught and discouraged, but, you know, that's not what we should be doing. Anyway, we'll stop there. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for, again, this, this psalm. There's, this is a wonderful psalm and uh, the experience that David had, and he's a, he learned from and desires to teach Uh, others from that. I pray that you'd help us to learn those lessons for our lives so that we can be the people we ought to be. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.